what I've had to learn is you're going to have to learn to move in fear. And when you can move in fear, it's called bravery. So you're not supposed to be fearless. All you have to do is be brave. You have to take like a baby step every other day. And all those baby steps add up. And before you know it, you're so far ahead of everybody because most people never take any steps towards their dreams. As an entrepreneur, if you start operating in that scary but exciting lane, you're exactly where you should be. Welcome to SheEO.World, a podcast about redesigning the world. I'm your host, Vicki Saunders. In each episode, you'll hear from SheEO venture founders, women who are working on the world's to-do list. These innovative business leaders are solving some of the major challenges of our times. Please sit back and be prepared to be inspired. My name is Kai Frazier, and I'm the founder and CEO of KaiXR, a kid-friendly VR platform where kids can explore, dream, and create. Welcome. How are you today, Kai? I'm doing fantastic. Always a pleasure to spend time with you, Vicki. <laughs> I'm so thrilled to have you here today. I love to start with, did you always want to create an AR VR company? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that shouldn't be that funny. No, I had no intention of starting any company whatsoever. I was going to be a teacher until the day I died. But when you get into a classroom with such few resources and you see how much it's affecting your students, uh, you have to make a decision. Either you're going to continue to keep on keeping on or you're going to make some type of change. And I didn't know what that change would look like. It started by, you know, I knew I had to switch positions. Uh, I left the classroom because I felt like my hands were always tied. I went to teaching history to working in history museums. And then while I was there, every day I saw these amazing stories that I would have loved to share with my students who went through a lot of adversity growing up. And I couldn't figure out a way to share these like life-changing stories with my students. And I thought VR could be an option. I had only seen one VR headset before in my life. I didn't really know much about it, but I knew it could work. That started the chain reaction of how do you start a VR company? For the first year, I didn't even realize I didn't have a company. I had no products. I had nothing going on. Uh, and then, you know, it's been a long journey to transitioning from a teacher to an education VR company. What is an education VR company? Tell us, like, first of all, what is KaiXR? And then what does it actually mean to have an education VR company? Sure. So KaiXR is a kid-friendly platform where kids can go on VR field trips and they can create their very own VR experiences. And, and that helps to improve their tech skills. To start an education company, for me, when we saw tech come into the classroom or an educational setting, we thought it was going to close the education gap. Really, it blew it wide open because the kids who had the resources got the best tech. And at my school, we were still sharing a laptop cart that came around once a week. And when the laptops came, half of them weren't charged. The other half were missing keys on them. So it was really evident that these really smart kids were not getting the opportunities they needed for to be successful and to compete at a fair education. When you take it further, that's just the classroom. When they went home, a lot of my students would have to go to a McDonald's to catch the Wi-Fi to complete assignments. So if we know how dismal it is in the education setting, it, it bothered me that people were not making business models to account for the least of us. So I didn't know how hard of a journey that would be. You know, that's smaller margins when you're going for people with 
don't have, you know, massive amounts of disposable income, but it's an audience that has been overlooked for so long. Uh, so now we're just trying to make a VR company that primarily works on smartphones. If you don't have Wi-Fi, that's okay. If you do have Wi-Fi, how can we make it so everything is web accessible? One of the big things about my company is there's no app to download. There is no uh, software you have to buy. It's just go to the website and you can start right there. So just really challenging what accessibility means. And then what does inclusion mean? Once you get to the site, what are you seeing? For a lot of my students teaching history, they would always ask me, where were they in the history books? And I had to honestly tell them they weren't here. Uh, and if they would like to be here, they have to do things to make those changes. And it dawned on me that I had to take my own advice. <laughs> And if I was going to make content that was representative of my students, I would have to go make that content as well. So for me, an educational VR company is one that serves my students both representation-wise, accessibility-wise. When it comes to the digital divide, are we actually reaching these kids that a lot of people have forgotten about? So how did you start? Like, what was, did you have, what was your first kind of like module or first experience that you created? Like, how did you get it all going? Because it's, I can imagine you going, oh, I'll just do this. And then you're like, okay, now <laughs> how do you go to market? It was very hard to start. Some of the best advice I ever got was start where you are, start with what you have and start with what you know. So with that being said, it was like, okay, I think I need a VR camera. So I remember it was Christmas day. I want to say 2017. And I was just so frustrated because you have all these ideas burning and like you have, you don't know where to start. So I decided that I was going to go pick a monument that doesn't get a lot of coverage. I lived in Washington, D.C. at the time, and I was just going to go set up a tripod in like the dead of winter, and I was going to try to make a recording. So I went to the uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Memorial. Uh, when we talk about that with students, we say, um, this is the first time an African-American has been memorialized on the National Mall, and that was in 2012. So why isn't there anybody else in the mall? And even with that monument being there, it's it's kind of off to the side, so you have to know how to get there. So people don't just happen to walk upon it like you would the Lincoln Memorial or the Washington Monument. So I wanted to make sure I got that monument first. And the year that I filmed it, it was going to be 50 years since the assassination. So I wanted to make sure I shared that monument with students. So I went out there with a camera by myself, um, set up my tripod, filmed it, and made my first VR experience. Then working with my students, I know that uh, where I lived in the D.C. area, most of my, a lot, a good portion of the students at my school, a third of them spoke Spanish as their first language. So I knew that no matter what audio I put behind it, it wasn't going to work, but didn't work for my students. So I had two of my former students record the I Have a Dream speech in English and in Spanish. And then uh, we were able to lift that audio behind the footage of the memorial. And then we had our first, uh, so my first VR experience was an English to Spanish Martin Luther King Jr. memorial experience uh, down in D.C. Wow, that's unbelievable. What happened when kids watched it for the first time? Like, how did that get presented? So I went to my old school and we tested it out. Uh, and it's really interesting when you work with kids who English is not their first language. And that's pretty much all my school was. You get really smart and communicating about words. So most students, if they 
you give them something and they don't quite get it, but they know they don't want to be rude. They give like a weird smile afterwards, like to say like, okay, stop looking at me now. But this was the first time that we could tell they understood it. So the reactions were deeper than just like an awkward smile. So it was nice to see kids receiving it. They could gesture about what they were talking about. My Spanish is, is very, is very poor. Um, so, you know, I'm not the best at communicating with all of my students, but we, you know, we found other ways to communicate. So it was just really nice to see a deeper level of engagement, especially nonverbal engagement from a lot of the students. So did you start by filming that and then testing it out or did you do a whole bunch together? Like how did you get started? It's a little expensive to start doing VR production. So it was like, let's just try it and see if it works. So we filmed one, we put it on, uh, you know, online to see if we can get views from it, did promotion behind it. And then after we saw it, it was in a good place and people were viewing it. Because my, my fear this whole time was when you see these expensive VR productions that cost like a hundred thousand to make and I have no money, you know, it's just, it feels like I should have never been making content because it didn't look like what I thought VR looked like. And it took me a while to realize that there's so many different people on access points. So by making content that wasn't super graphic heavy, that means you can run on a cell phone. So that gave that made it more accessible by making content that didn't require hand controllers, for example, that means kids with physical disabilities could actually watch it because a teacher can put it to the headset to their face and move them around with a controller. The kid has to touch that. So we saw so many different groups we were unlocking because of the way we were doing it. After we did the MLK Memorial, my hoop dream was to uh, film the new Obama portraits that had just debuted. So I didn't think we were going to get it done. We kept asking over and over again. Finally, when the Smithsonian kept telling me, like, not now, we don't know what you're talking about, we'll come back to it, not now, I did a Hail Mary and I DM'd Amy Sherrill who painted the Michelle Obama portrait on Instagram. And she got back to me within three hours and said, what do you want to do? I can help. Oh my God. How awesome. Uh, and she's been a really great ally. We've done promotion and marketing of her. She donated different headsets to kids out where she was in Baltimore. So it ended up being a really great partnership and a supporter I didn't anticipate on getting. That's what boldness gets you, right? When you yeah. boldly just do that. Have you always been a courageous goddess? No, not at all. I never think of myself like that. I, I was watching this TV interview with Stephen Colbert and Anderson Cooper about tragedy and loss in life. And Colbert had said this quote, something like fatherless daughters believe everything is possible, but trust nothing. And I think that's how I've always lived my life. Like I, I'm always like, you know, I've seen some crazy things happen. And that, so the same way crazy things can happen, normal things can happen, everything can happen. But I'm always very weary about stuff once it happens. So I didn't even believe it when Amy Sherrill came back to me. I'm like, this is her assistant. No, it was her. <laughs> she was talking to me and she was really great. And she's been great though, you know, for about two years now. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so then what happened next? How did you take it to the next level? How did you get to become a business? This is what I'm referencing when I'm saying I didn't realize I didn't have a company. I didn't, like two filmings don't equate a company. So that was a hard lesson to learn. I didn't have any entrepreneurial people in my, in, you know, my, in my background or anybody I could turn to. And Washington, D.C. isn't always what you think of first when the, like a super tech startup place. So the more research I did, I saw that to start a company it would take me lots of money. Money and I didn't have any of that money. But I worked at the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. for the last two, two or three years before I left. And I worked 
every single day with courageous uh, survivors of mass atrocities and genocides. And I don't think I would have started my company if it wasn't hearing their stories every single day about taking risks. I worked with a Syrian survivor who was a computer engineer in Damascus. And when the war broke out, he found refuge in Berlin, left his whole family, and he was still trying to make an app to help people get through immigration if they spoke Arabic and not German. And it was, so it was just everyday examples. Uh, the museum did all genocide just at the Holocaust Museum. So from Rwandan refugees telling me that for survival for their genocide, all they needed was a seed. And if they had a seed, they could grow and they could survive. It was just all these stories about like, you don't need anything. You can start right now. And if you make the right sacrifices, you can do a lot. So I decided I was going to sell my house, my car, everything I own, divorce my husband. And I moved across the country <laughs> to okay. California. I did a full, like, you know what, if, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to fully do it. And I'm going to let go of everything that doesn't serve me, as doesn't bring me happy. Happiness doesn't, you know, when you're in a when you're in a, a marriage where sometimes you have to play down to make sure your husband feels better a lot. I can't do a company like that. So it's just a lot of that that I just didn't want to do anymore. And then I always, as long as I can remember, I was always getting in trouble for asking too many questions. And I didn't realize that I was like an entrepreneurial spirit. I knew how to like lay low and not get in trouble and not shake the. We've always done it this way, both. Uh, which is so common in the federal DC world. So I just saw, I went on one trip to Silicon Valley chaperoning students right before I moved and went to all the different tech companies chaperoning the kids. And I would tell people about, you know, this is what I think I'm going to do. I think I can do a VR company. And they all told me in Silicon Valley, like, you're not thinking big enough. You have to think bigger. You're not even exercising your brain right now. This has to be bigger. And, and it was the first time I had heard, like, you're not crazy you're actually not doing enough. Um, so when I went back to DC, I was like, no, I'm done with this. I'm done with everything here. It doesn't serve me. And I decided I was going to just, you know, I told myself I bought a house when I was like 25. What can I do when I'm 35? You know, I can get even even cooler house. Do I even still want a house at this point in time? So it's just, just letting go of everything that no longer served me in that chapter and using it to be bold for this next chapter and making my own runaway uh, when uh, the statistic is, I think, zero points. 2% of black women get BC funding. So if I knew all that from my research, then I was going to have to do something radically different to get my funding to even start a company. So true. One of my favorite things about being an entrepreneur and having the longevity that I've had as being an entrepreneur is noticing the different environments you're in and how it influences how you act. What an unbelievable gift to work at a Holocaust museum of all places, right? To hear those stories of people. Yeah. How compelling is that? I have a seed, therefore I can survive. I call those my Rwandan life coaches. They tell me yeah, right. all we needed was a seed. Like, God, you don't need anything. Like, don't ever anybody tell you you need these things. So powerful. Those, oh my God, that's like so amazing. Okay. So then you moved to the Valley. Yes. So when did you actually become a company? So I was an LLC for a while and I changed into a Delaware C Corps and got super prepared for the road ahead. That was 2018, November. I always try to do everything around my birthday so I can have like, a, like, this is my goal. So I did my launch party 2017, 2018. I was like, nope, this is, we are now Delaware C Corps. We are going to go to get to the bottom of this and really start to make moves. So yeah, that was trying to get products out, trying to make, it took me, I think, one of the hardest lessons I had to learn for uh, startup life is um, reoccurring revenue. 
no matter how many times somebody would tell it to me, it just went like over my head. I, it, I just never got until you can find a place of reoccurring revenue, this company is going to go nowhere. I mean, it couldn't go someplace, but like, it's going to be really hard. It's going to be extremely hard until you find just something. As a teacher, working with Title I students or Title I schools with, with very little money, the first thing my mind is not charging people for a service. Like they can't afford it. And, um, and I know how hard my life was growing up and not being able to afford anything. Like I, I'm, I'm thinking about more as an adult now about how much debt you have as a child and you don't realize how much that debt affects you. So like in California, it's really a new world to me because I hear all these stories about kids who can't afford lunch and they still can eat. But I grew up in a way that if you couldn't afford lunch, you didn't eat and you got like debt slips. So I remember just swimming in debt slips and debt uh, slips growing up. So coming out here was just a whole different experience. The Holocaust Museum helped me a lot to get the courage to come out here, but being out here and being around all these other entrepreneurs, people who are really searching for their truth, people who are respect human life, I've never even seen that until I came out to the Bay. And it was just amazing people after amazing person. And they've been ex just extremely helpful on this journey. I don't think I could have started this anywhere else. So where are you now with your business? And what are the dreams that are up next? Well, now we just finished our first accelerator. So now we are finishing up building our platform. Never knew how difficult a platform build was. This is my next super hard lesson as an entrepreneur. So we have our platform build right now. I'm not as happy with some things. So we're actually going into a second platform build uh, next Monday. So yeah, we have our MVP up and running, but of course uh, it's always improving, optimizing, polishing. And that's the journey right now, how to, uh, for our platform, there are a lot of VR companies. And when you do a VR company, you build your VR around different headsets. So I want my VR to work on an Oculus Quest, the HTC Vive. We're building our VR so it works on any web browser. And that's not, it's very hard, it's unprecedented. So to find the people that can even do that is, is really expanding on a network and making that network and growing it. So we have a good MVP out now at this point. It's how do we optimize it, grow it, make it stronger, and just make it a better product so uh, students, parents, teachers, everybody can enjoy it. And so what's your business model? Our business model is we have a platform where we charge a monthly subscription for that. If you want to do an add-on for a VR headset, that's $35 for that VR Steam kit that can add to that monthly subscription. And if you are a somebody that has really great content or a story that needs to be told, we will come out and film it for you on site and make a whole VR experience. That's 25K. So from big, so we just did one for UC Berkeley, CRISPR, to show a woman in uh, science. So that was that was lots of fun to work with the scientists out there. So I felt like I've just grown so much in my biochemistry. I feel like I should get another like minor in biochemistry now. Uh, but that was really nice. We filmed that once again, because there's, there's so few examples of women in science, especially women who are doing groundbreaking scientific breakthroughs, such as DNA editing to uh, cure diseases. So cool. And there's literally so many stories to tell, right? That would be the hard part. Yeah. So how's it going? People are coming to your website and subscribing? Yeah, people are coming to our website. We're getting uh, people trying the new platform. We're getting people to buy our headset. COVID 
slow down our VR filming. So that was unfortunate. But, you know, I think what it also did was before when I was pitching my company about why accessibility was important, it was always a hard sell. If you don't know what it feels like to not have access, then you don't really care. And that's most people that I talk to. They don't understand how I grew up or others grew up. Then when COVID hit overnight, everybody was in my case study. Nobody could go anywhere. Nobody had access. Uh, And then it really shone a light on the amount of kids who don't have Wi-Fi at home. It's unfortunate, but these are problems we were already solving for. So now we're just trying to decide what does school look like? What does after school program like? Every education is, will completely be changed after COVID. And we're trying to see what does that look like? And if we can incorporate accessibility and different ed tech tools that help kids expand their world uh, through it, throughout it all. So what do you most need? How can we help you? What do we most need? You know, this is always the, I think, I don't even know if it's for women. This question always messes everybody up. We never are ready for the ask. We are doing our first fundraising round. I'm super weary about fundraising. I've just seen so many terrible stories about people who took money and it just just screwed them over long-term. So we're making our life more challenging by looking for non-diluted sources of funding from foundations to revenue-based VCs and things like that, uh, social impact investors, corporate social responsibility uh, things. So we're always looking for people um, that have inroads to that, angel investors as well. But we like revenue too. So if somebody is interested in being a VR film client or they're interested in, you know, using our platform for summer programs, their schools, um, even our VR headsets, we love that as well. So we're always looking for word of mouth as we go about these things. So how do people find you? You can go to the website. It's www.kixr. My name is K-A-I-X-R.com. And they can see our MVP right now and play around with it and get in and have some fun with VR. Now, it seems to me like this would be such a perfect time for parents to be buying this for their kids because their kids are at home. It's so hard right now. Is there an age range that this works best with? Most VR is 13 and over, but we use really kid-friendly headsets, so we work with kids who are probably around 9 or 10. If they are 9 or 10, they love a lot. We have a lot of content for that age range, but we also have content for older kids, too. For example, CRISPR DNA editing is probably not for a 9-year-old, so we have a lot of stuff that can work for all different age groups. So we say that we work 8 through 18 is our usually our sweet spot that we have, um, and we're working on just ramping up more uh, college VR experiences, too, that can be used. That's amazing. And how did you hear about CEO? How did you apply? And Oh my goodness. I, I am on a newsletter for a young lady who gives all these great highlights uh, for what's happening in the startup world. And that was the first time I ever had seen CEO Ventures. I went to apply and you know, when you're doing all these applications, you, it's like a million never ending rounds and you're just used to it. You got to keep going through the rounds. We actually found out we became a finalist and I didn't realize we were a finalist for about another two weeks. I was ready for the next round. I was prepping my team. Like, we're going to need more financial. Just let us know. And so, and that's that thing again, you know, believing everything is possible, but trusting nothing. So I just, I didn't think it was real. So when we finally got in, it took me a long time to pretty, to understand what was happening. And then when I got to Canada, it was very, it was like, oh, this is real. We're actually here. And the retreat was probably the most amazing thing I've had to, I've gotten to experience in my startup life. I've, I mean, it was, it was phenomenal. And we still hadn't got to the summit. When we, we got to the summit, I was like, oh my God, this is really real. So it was just to see so many amazing, generous, 
women who are all there to support us. Not all women groups are equal. I usually don't do well in women groups. Uh, and it was, it was just a completely different feeling of just inclusion, um, acceptance, support. And I just, I enjoyed it. I had, it's, I'm, I'm glad that that was the last thing I did before COVID really hit. So I'm glad I had that high note to live out the rest of 2020 on. Yeah, I think a lot of us were. That was like a very huge event for hundreds of people. And then the next day, uh, and you uh, met one of our activators, Dory, at that summit. Can you tell us a little bit about how she helped you out and how that happened? Of course. I had met Dory uh, last year at, a, at a, a design summit in Atlanta, the Hue Design Summit, and she was great. Did an amazing presentation. I had saw her, talked to her for a little bit, but that was it. So when I was at CEO and I saw her walk past me, I was like, wait a second, I, I know you. So we got to reconnect and talk and I had just went through a really bad design hiccup. I had a new designer and they just did not deliver and we had so much tied up into our relaunch and I just gave up. I said, you know what, there are a lot of things I had to do and if I can't get the design done, then you know what, I, have to, I can't keep putting time and effort to this, but it's super important to me. So I told her that and she said, you know, I can find some people to help. I watched her give her presentation on the CEO stage. It was so amazing. I ran right up to her and was like, hey, you've got to be our design advisor. No, like, please. And she agreed to it right there in the spot. I'm so thankful for her. And the next day she started connecting me to different designers and they have completely redesigned our brand, our identity, um, just all of my dreams were able to come true. They most recently rocked out our pitch deck for our demo days. So it was, it felt like the first time I was able to effectively communicate our whole company vision with beautiful visuals. So just extremely thankful for uh, Dory as an activator to support us in such a, such a part of the company that meant so much to me and I couldn't find relief from it. So we're talking about uh, Dory Tunstall, who is actually the Dean of the Faculty of Design, the first Black Dean of a Faculty of Design anywhere, which is amazing. Anywhere. Yeah, anywhere. <laughs> so crazy. In 2020, we're saying something like this still, which is nuts. Hopefully, this new world of redesigning and redefining education is going to be really good for your business. We're really excited about your product. Yeah, I'm, I have so many possibilities. And, you know, so I'm just, I'm glad that all that hard work and learning and craziness has, you know, like it's gotten us here. So when everything happens, we're at a really good place to start uh, taking advantage of and being on the forefront of all of these changes that are going to come. I wonder if you have any thoughts or advice for other entrepreneurs who maybe don't have Rwandan genocide survivors helping them get started. What yeah. are your like top one, two, three? Yes. People mistakenly ask me all the time, how am I so fearless? And I tell them, I'm, I'm honored that you think that I'm scared shitless every single day. Uh, excuse my friend, like it's terrifying. But what I've had to learn is you're going to have to learn to move in fear. And when you can move in fear, it's called bravery. So you're not supposed to be fearless. All you have to do is be brave. When I was looking on the outside, I always thought that you had to take these these huge leaps to, you know, make a business. Really, you have to take like a baby step every other day. And all those baby steps add up. And before you know it, you're so far ahead of everybody because most people never take any steps towards their, towards their dreams. And then you start to realize you are never in competition with anybody. It's you and will you be brave enough to take those baby steps? And sometimes if you stand still, that's fine. Just take a week, come back, take another step. As long as you keep moving in the direction of your dreams uh, and your dreams to be so big, they scare you. Um, like I said, you just get used to being scary. So as an entrepreneur, if you start operating in that scary but exciting lane, you're exactly where you should be. 
thank you so much, Kai. It's been amazing to have you here today and we're cheering you on. I'm so excited about growing your business and being here for you. Thank you for having me, Vicki. It's always a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the CEO.world podcast. If this conversation resonated with you, please share it with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you'd like more information about CEO, please visit us at CEO.world. That's S-H-E-E-O dot world.